Amen, amen, amen. Well, we are, uh, we are thankful tonight for God's goodness. Amen. I'm uh, glad we're not having an outdoor meeting tonight. Amen. If we were having an outdoor meeting, we had to have fans. We went to an outdoor wedding yesterday in the heat. Yeah, it was bad. So, um, but uh, tonight we're going to uh, start back in Mark chapter 8. We're going to pick up on uh, where we were at. In, um, but we are thankful that you're here, and uh, we're going to dig, dig down. God has a little bit uh, more we're going to pull out of this uh, that we were in today. Pray that it was a blessing to you. Amen. God is good. Yes, he is. All right, and um, I did hear uh, Brother David and Sister Haley were uh, rolling out, so they had to leave today. But uh, keep them in prayer because she's taking her citizenship test tomorrow. So she told me there's 100 questions. She knows them all. They only asked 10, but she was nervous. So (laughs) we just pray for God's peace. Um, But we're proud of her, and, and Lord willing, we'll get a good report there. And uh, we just need to pray for uh, the others that, that couldn't make it tonight. We'll just keep them lifted up. Don't forget to pass out these um, VBS. Uh, make sure you invite, because uh, it's going to be a good VBS this year. I'm excited about it. It really is good. Uh, Answers in Genesis, if you don't know who they are, you can look them up online. Uh, that's who the curriculum that we're using on it. They are top of the line, Answers in Genesis. So uh, you can, you know, verify their ministry. They're very good. Um, I did get confirmation, so the Kiel family is going to be in, so we're going to have a whole roundup of uh, ministry opportunities this weekend, um, and uh, we'll, have, we'll have a great, a great time even on Sunday with the Kiel family in here uh, with, with everything going on, so it'll be good. Amen. Um, the other thing that I wanted to let you know before we, we get into it is uh, don't forget about Wednesday night Bible study. We've been um, having some very good Wednesday night Bible studies. This past Wednesday night was on the armor of God. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to get into back into where we were. And um, Lord willing, this one, we're going to be talking about um, just some some fun topics, uh, apologetic-wise, but um, it's going to be in, in, more into uh, the occult and New Age teaching and things like that, and um, and why God forbids it, and why we, uh, you know, uh, why we hold to biblical tradition. So it's very good, and and a lot of times people don't even realize it, but they're getting inundated with New Age teachings and things like that, and they don't even realize it a lot of times. So. It'll be good, Lord willing, um, but as you all, you, uh, most of y'all know on Wednesday nights, um, it's always subject to the Spirit of the Lord, so you could come in here and we could be doing Genesis 1, creation, you never know. Um, but anyways, it's, uh, it's exciting to be here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. We're going to start uh, where we were at this last time, and um, we'll start in verse, uh, we'll start in verse number 28. And let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started tonight. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for the work of God that you've done in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that we can trust you in that moment of surrender. You're going to finish this work. Lord, we pray tonight for the anointing. I pray, God, for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. Lord, we ask that you would anoint that word to accomplish all that you desire. And, Lord, we ask for that anointing to hear and receive all that the Spirit of the Lord is speaking this evening. And, Lord, we give you all the glory. We ask it in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody says well, hallelujah. So tonight we're going to be back where we were this morning. We're in Mark chapter 8, and we're looking at this specific passage where uh, Jesus was asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? 
And what we find is that um, Peter has the right answer. Uh, but we'll pick it up, but the, the context is what we're setting up right here. It says they answered, uh, in verse number 28, it says they answered John the Baptist, but some say Eliza, and others one of the prophets. And Jesus, it says, and he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, thou art the Christ. And, and this was the correct answer. Jesus actually um, commended him for that, told him that he was going to be the rock uh, that he builds the church on, that revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, he said that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but, but the point I want to get to right here is that Peter had the right answer. Peter had the revelation. And some of the, sometimes in our own lives, we have a correct understanding or we have a correct revelation, but sometimes it's just something that we may profess with a head knowledge, but we don't possess it with a heart knowledge. It hasn't made that transformation in our lives. There's one, you know, one of the things that we see in our day and age is we see podcasts, we see YouTube videos, we see seminars, we see uh, everything under the sun, and you can buy anything under the sun. But the reality is you can get a whole lot of information and not be changed by it. That's the reality. You can get a whole lot of information and not be changed. And, you know, Peter here is on the right track, but he's not where he's going to be. I mean, he's not going to actually fulfill the call of God on his life until he gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. Until, until, the, until Pentecost comes, Peter's really not that man, that rock. You know, it's after Pentecost that he begins to walk that new walk where he has the boldness in the Lord to, to speak, thus saith the Lord, to tell people the truth. Amen. It takes a lot of boldness and courage. It takes the Holy Ghost to be able to tell people the truth in a generation that hates the truth. And how many of you know we live in a generation like that? We live in a generation that hates the truth. So we need that empowerment of the Holy Ghost to, fulfill, to fulfill the call of God on our life. If somebody thinks that they can fulfill the call of God on their life and skip Pentecost, they are deceived of the hardest case. You will never fulfill the call of God on your life until you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's just the way that God designed it. God empowers us to walk the walk, to be who God's called us to be, and to live the life God's called us to live through, not in our own strength, through the strength of the Lord, through that anointing of God on our lives. And, and so it's very important to understand that Peter's on the right road, but he hasn't got there yet because he's about to make a, mis a misstep. So Peter says, you're the Christ. And look, it says he charged them that they should tell no man. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, of the chief priests and scribes, be killed after, uh, and after three days rise again. That's the gospel right there. Um, and he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter said, Lord, you're not leaving us. You're a miracle worker. You walk on water. You feed thousands. You open blind eyes. You heal the leper. You cause the lame to walk. You, you do it all, and you're not leaving us. You are not going nowhere. We, we just started. How many of you, you know, we just started this thing. And sometimes the Lord takes you out of one season and into another season, and you're not ready. How many of you ever been ready for a change of seasons? I mean, most people that I know, they're, they, you get acclimated to the season you're in. And, and then when that next season hits you like a, a, you know, like a two-by-four across the face, you're not ready to go in it. You want to stay where you were. But you know what? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? He's the same in winter, spring, summer, and fall. He's the same on my good days as on my bad days. He's the same when it's dark outside as when it's bright. He's the same. And what I've got to do is I've got to understand I'm not supposed to trust my situation but my Savior in my situation. I'm not called to keep the situation the same. I'm called to hold the hand of the Savior that stays the same no matter the situation. And that's where so many people miss it. They want everything to stay the same instead of realizing the only thing that stays the same is God. The only thing that stays the same is God Almighty. And so Peter here, he begins to rebuke Jesus, and this is the part we want to get into. Uh, it says, but when he turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus rebukes Peter. And look what, look what Jesus says to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. 
Jesus literally calls the apostle Peter Satan. Now, he's not Satan. He's not saying you grew, you know, horns and a tail and a pitchfork. He's not saying that, but he's acting as Satan. Why? Because he's no longer savoring the things of God. He's now introduced, and he's now, he's now kind of got this side thing going on. Now he's kind of got this other thing. It's no longer just about whatever God wants to do. God, here's my life. You can, you can order it how you want. You tell me to go, I'll go. You tell me to stop, I'll stop. You tell me to do this, I'll do this. But now it's kind of like, hold on, God. We need things to kind of stay this way. You know, he kind of interjected his own opinion into the realm of what God should do. How many of you know that's not a good idea? You, gotta, you can't interject your own opinion into what you think God should do. God's God. We're men. Amen? There's only one God. Come on now. His ways are above our ways. You may not understand it, but his ways are above our ways. He's working something. And, and, but we don't have the mind of God, but the Bible says, but we've been given the mind of Christ. We've been given the mind of that servant. We've been given the mind of the Lord of glory. And so we see this important principle right here. Savor. What do you savor? We talked about this, but savoring is what you deem as valuable. When I remember when my grandmother cooked and we had that, that rich gravy or maybe a steak that had like a lot of flavor in it, it was so savory you could taste it hours and hours later. And the way she cooked the roast beef, it would stay with you for hours, wouldn't it? Yeah, you could, you could still taste it because it was so savory. You, you, it was, but when we're talking about what do you savor as far as in your heart and the way that you live your life, we're talking about what do you long for? What feeds your soul? What, what, what feeds your appetite? What, what gets you going? What gets you excited? What gets you moving? And, it's, and, and, and Jesus tells, tells Peter, you no longer savor the things of God. Now you're starting to savor the things of men. How many of you know men have a lot of things they savor? I know men that savor ESPN. I know men that savor pornography. I know men that savor video games. I know men that savor all kinds of fishing. I know men, and, and, you know, we can talk about women too, but we'll just stay gender specific, right? But, but the reality is, is that we can savor anything. But the one thing God calls us to savor is him. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I mean, we don't understand the breadth and the depth of that verse, but we're called to love God with all that we have. What do you have left after that? You don't have time for ESPN after that. If you give God truly all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you really don't have time for much else. I mean, just think about that one concept of loving God with your mind. That means you're not putting anything in your mind that's not of God. How about that? And that's called loving God with your mind. Filling your mind up with verses of Scripture. Filling your mind up with songs. Filling your mind up with, with prayer. Filling your mind up with thoughts of good things and holy things and things that, that are eternal. Loving God with our minds. Sharpening our minds. Say, oh, I can never remember a verse. But if you truly begin to love the Lord your God with all your mind, you're going to begin to practice that. You're going to begin to try, stretch that brain out. You're going to try to, to move forward in those things. Ah, oh, this is just the way I was born. Yeah, but you got to love the Lord with all that you got and watch what God will do. Amen? So the thing that we want to see here is that, that Peter began to savor the things that are not of God. And how many of us have been there? Savor the things that not be of God. Well, the reality is a lot of times people get lukewarm in their walk with God. The reality is a lot of people get lukewarm. In fact, one of the churches in the book of Revelation, Jesus rebuked it because it grew lukewarm. They're, they're no longer hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, he's going to spew you out of the mouth. But that's a church, a whole church. Well, I mean, I don't want to be that church. But a whole church was, had grown lukewarm. That means they no longer were going forward and they were no longer going reverse. They just stopped caring about the things of God. And the sad reality is a lot of times it, it, it's not so much that the devil wants you to become some Luciferian. He just wants to spoil your walk. He just wants to, he just wants to corrupt where you're going. 
He just wants to, he just wants to get you sidetracked and get you, get you down some rabbit hole somewhere so that you're no longer preoccupied with God, but now you're preoccupied with the things of the world. Now you're beginning to think about inflation more than the God who controls everything on this earth. Last time I looked, the Bible says that God is my provider. I, look, I understand because it's hard for me to go buy groceries anymore because of inflation. I understand. But you know what? I'm not worried about it because God is my provider. I don't have to worry about it. God's going to make ends meet. That's what he does. My job is to trust. His job is to provide. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to tell him how to do what he needs to do. I'm going to do what I need to do, which is trust him. I'm going to just hold his hand and say, all right, Lord, I'm believing. And you know what? The reality is, is so many times in our life, we begin to get cold and we begin to get indifferent. We begin to get lukewarm because we've been corrupted and we get preoccupied. Our minds begin to drift and we begin to think on other things and no longer savor the things of God. Now it's what, and, and nobody's going to say, um, you know, just outright, I, I don't, you know, I'm not savoring that. But the reality is, is savoring something is far different than liking it. Savoring something is far different than hearing it. Savoring something is far different. I can tell you this. I, I savor my grandmother's roast beef way more than a saltine cracker. I can taste it hours later. I can still to this day remember the taste of it. And you know, when it comes to the things of God, we're supposed to taste and see that God is good. We're supposed to come to the fountain of living water and drink freely. We're supposed to come behold our God and allow him to fill our every need. That fountain never runs dry. It's a well that never runs dry. You know, God has never let anyone down. Anyone, any thirsting heart that comes to God, he always pours out his spirit on that thirsty heart. We have to be thirsty. We have to savor God. We have to savor him and, and truly, as Jesus said, begin to hunger and thirst for him. Now, let's, let's pair this over and go over to Ephesians. And I want to I kind of dig, dig into a little new territory tonight that, we were, that we've been in. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 1. And then we're going to go forward a little bit. This is an important passage. I want you to get this. This is a very important passage. You got to get this. Savor. What do you savor in, in the Lord? Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. Now watch this. Be ye therefore, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now this Ephesians 5 right here, it starts out with this, this command to be followers of God as dear children. That means I'm not going to navigate. I'm not going to be a backseat driver. I'm just going to say, yes, sir, where are you leading? Where are you taking me, Dad? Where do you want me to go, Lord? It's being followers as dear children. And look at this next part. It says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us and offering in a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, this part right here, I want you to get. I want you to get this part. Jesus offered himself to God as a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, let me say it like this. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was savory to God Almighty. Think about that. It was a savor to God. It was a savor to the Lord of glory. And, and it's just, you know, more than our minds can control because it's, you know, God manifests in flesh, being savory to God in glory. But it's just the way it is. But the reality is this, is that that sacrifice was pleasing to, the, to, to God. That sacrifice. If there be any other way, Father, let this cut pass from me. Right? But there was no other way. And Jesus went to the cross he went to the Via Della Rosa. He went all the way. And as he was on the cross, what did he say? Into thy hands commit my spirit. Right? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And that offering on the cross was savory to God. I, how many of you know that's more than a saltine cracker? 
that savor. So when, when we're talking about savor, we're talking about how much did Jesus' death on the cross please God? I mean, he fulfilled the will of God through every cost. It didn't matter how many people mocked him, laughed at him, rebuked him, pulled out his beard, put the crown of thorns on, made fun of him. It, you know, they put that, that, that robe on him. They gave him a scepter and they bowed down. All hell, king of the Jews. And they just mocked him as they were killing him. And at any moment, he could have snapped his fingers and killed them all. At any moment, he could have just stopped the whole world from existing. But love compelled him to go all the way. Right? Love compelled him to go all the way. Because, because God so loved the world. And Jesus said he came here to fulfill the, the Father's business. Now watch this. Jesus here, his sacrifice of himself so that others can be reconciled to the Father was savory to the Father. Now, could Jesus have just um, retired? Could he just said, you know what, I've been a miracle worker for a few years. I'm just going to hang out for a little while. Could he have said that? He could have most definitely said that. But in, instead of kind of staying indifferent, he went forward. He went forward to the cross. He went forward. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross the gospel says that his face was set like flint towards Jerusalem because he was headed to the cross. He was not going to be deterred. He was not going to go to the left and he was not going to go to the right, but he was going to go all the way to the cross and bear the sin of the world. Now watch this. That was savory to God because Jesus didn't stop. He didn't get into the middle. He didn't get into neutral. He went all the way and he gave himself as a sacrifice that others may be reconciled to the Father. Now, I want to tell you something. God told you to follow him the same way. God told you to follow him the same way. God told you to give yourself as a sacrifice. Look, maybe not on a literal cross, but daily. Didn't Jesus say to take up your cross daily and come after him? If you're going to be his disciple, he said, take up your cross daily and come after me. And what does it mean to take up your cross? It means to die to yourself daily. It means to die to yourself every day of your life until God calls you home. Take up your cross daily and come after me. That means you're called to say, it's not about what I think. If somebody tells me they don't like the way I look or they don't like the way I smell or they don't like the way I sound, I don't care. Why? Because it's not about me. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Talk about me all you want. That's fine. I'm on a mission. What's the mission? I'm, a, I'm on a mission to live a crucified life that you may know God the Father and be reconciled to him. That's our mission. Our calling in life is not to get a reputation. Our calling in life is to have godly character. Godly character follows Jesus. It's dying to self daily that others may find the truth of who God is in you. Amen. That's the truth. And God called you to that. Now, how many of you know that costs you something? We're going we to hit some choppy waters right here. It costs you something. I want to tell you something. It's not pleasing to God if you don't. It's not pleasing to God for you to draw back. It's not. Look, it costs you something to die to self daily. It costs you something to, to take up your cross every day. It costs you you. At some point, you I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired of that. You've got to crucify that person. God ain't tired. God ain't tired of it. And you know what? I, I might get tired of somebody doing this. I might get tired of somebody doing this. But you know what? God's got a higher thing going on. And he's called me to give myself daily. Just like Jesus. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice so that others can be reconciled to God. And you know what? Sometimes it costs us something. It may cost you time. It may cost you time to go pass out gospel tracts. It may cost you time to call somebody on the phone and check on them, pray for them. It may cost you time to text one of your friends and just say, hey, how are you in Jesus? Is there anything I can pray with you about? 
It may cost you time to take one of your friends from church to coffee and check on them and make sure that they're still walking with God. But sometimes we've got to say, oh, you know what, I'm just tired and, you know, I just don't feel like doing this and I just don't feel like doing that. Well, you know, do you think personally Jesus really felt like going to the cross? No, but he was thinking of you. For the joy that was set before him, he endured it. He was thinking of you. And if we're going to live a sacrificial life and die to self daily, we're going to have to think of others ahead of our own selves. And that's what he's talking about here. So there's times that that you may not want to do something, but this is part where the rubber meets the road. This is the part where the rubber meets the road. We're not talking about super-duper Christianity. You're going to see something right here. Watch this. So, so he said that, that this offering and sacrifices to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But look at verse 3. It says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, now we're about to hit something. You see, there's, God kind of sets this up, and he says, you know, you're called to follow God like a dear child, and you're called to live a sacrificial life like Jesus that it would be savory unto God. But you know what? The other end of the spectrum is, is not, or you can just remain in neutral. God sees it as you're living sacrificially or you've kind of drifted back into idolatry or you've drifted back into something. You see, it's the same principle as Jesus talked about that when he rebuked the church for being lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were just indifferent. And the reality is, is God wants us to pursue the things of God. God wants us to live sacrificially. Notice what happens next in this next part. It says, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We're going to stop right there for a second. I want you to see something. The the way that God sets this up is you're either a child of light or a child of darkness. The way that God is distinguishing you as a child of light is that you've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, and now you've given your life as as an offering to God. You now are living a crucified life. It's no longer about you. I don't know about you, but whenever I came to the Lord, I was supposed to surrender who I was. I, I was supposed to give up me. I was supposed, like we sang this morning, I surrender all, not I surrender some. I'm going to surrender everything else but this and that. No, I surrender all, Lord. You bought all of me on the cross, and I'm giving all of myself to you. You bought it all, and you can have it all. I want you to fill it all. I want you to forgive all my sin. I want you to fill me all the way from my head to my toes with the Holy Spirit. I want it all, and I'm giving it all, right? That's the way God's called us to be. And, and he says on the other end of the spectrum, we, go, we start going back into idolatry and covetousness and darkness. We see, in, in, in Christendom, we've kind, of, we, we've kind of gotten into this complacent place where we've allowed people to kind of get into that lukewarm place. And as long as they're not joining the Luciferian cult, we don't worry about them. When the reality is, Jesus said, if somebody's lukewarm, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. So what has God called us to do? God's called us to live sacrificially. God has called us to live a sacrificial life. And what pleases God the most, what pleases God the most is when you come to God fresh. And you say, Lord, I'm giving myself over to you fresh again. I'm not holding anything back today. I'm not holding anything back. I'm making a new beginning right now, and I'm giving myself over to you. Let me show you how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12. A a sacrifice that was savory to, to God was a complete sacrifice. Romans chapter 12.
You see, whenever Jesus went to the cross and he offered himself to, to the Father, it was savory to God. And you've been called to imitate that. In other words, you were not called to um, an, an ivory tower Christianity. You were not called to a back porch Christianity. You were called to a sacrificial life. Christian life is a crucified life. The crucified life is Christianity. And the sad reality is a lot of times the crucified life is not preached or taught in our churches because it's not compelling to the flesh. But God accepts nothing less. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be pleasing on the God than pleasing on the men. Now, I know and you know that it's not, it's not, you're never going to be a crowd pleaser by telling people that they need to die to self. They need to, you know, it's not about your opinion and your wants and your desires, but it's about you surrendering all that, coming on board with God, and allowing God to have all of you. And you know what God did to me? God gave me new desires. How about you? God gave me new desires. God, God, he began to, to teach me how to have joy in new things. You know what? I, I found joy in worship. Before I got saved, I didn't want to do that. I got, I, now I find joy in reading the Word of God. What's my most happy time? When I'm alone and I can pray and I can fast and I can read and I can just get alone with God and have intimacy with God and I can just be me and Him. That's my most favorite. All the joy. But you try to tell someone that's still in the flesh that. You get them alone, and they're going to be looking at the wall. They're going to be crawling on the floor. They're going to be calling this one and calling that one and doing this and doing that. Because we're not crucified. I want you to see something. This is a daily thing. This is a daily thing. I did that 20 years ago. Yeah, great. This is daily. Look at this. Verse 1, Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And this is a, 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 an important passage because it shows you a couple of things. But number one is that you're called to have a sacrificial life. And it's a living sacrifice. It's never completed. It's never over. Every day that you're alive, you're supposed to go back to God and give yourself as a sacrifice to God. Every day that you're alive, you got to begin again and say, Lord, here I am again. You know what? Every day, you can wake up and you can begin to live for self again. How many of you know that? How many of you been there? You're going to wake up tomorrow and not think hide nor hair of any Christian or pick up the Bible or pray. You can do that. But you might fall back. The reality is if you're going to go forward in God, you're going to have, your God is calling you to a crucified life where you are living a sacrificial life daily. That's where Christianity begins. That's where Christianity lives. That's where Christianity moves. That's why many people don't have the joy of the Lord anymore. Is because they're not giving God a sacrifice that is pleasing to Him. They're not giving God a sacrifice that is savory to Him. They're giving God their hand or they're giving God their foot, but they're not giving God the whole. They're not giving God the whole. And I want you to know something. Jesus went to the cross and He gave all of who He was to the Father. He let everything go on the cross. He didn't hold anything back and the Bible says it was a sweet smelling savor to God and in order for you to savor the things of God and desire to please God you're going to have to come back to God and give him every single thing of yourself you're not going to be able to hold anything back on any day at all and you look to Jesus and you say well that's a lot but you don't understand what it took for Jesus to go to that cross we're not talking about a mere man going to a cross. We're talking about God from glory who never knew no sin at all, who was the purest of pure, holy of holies, and he came and incarnated in a house of flesh. 
You'll never understand the depths that he stood, that he went to for that incarnation. You'll never understand what he did as he came down here to this earth so that he could bear our sin. And as he was bearing the sin of the world, you know the Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood because the weight of the and the gravity of the sin of the world was about to come down upon him. He was going to bear that sin. And you know what? That, that he went and he went all the way. He didn't hold any anything back he didn't hold anything back and then look at us God's called us to follow that God's called us to be followers in the same way God's called us to live a sacrificial life in the same way and not hold anything back so many times that's why there's no joy in our walk with the Lord you know, how many of you remember a time in your life when you gave God everything and you remember that fullness of joy? You remember that? I remember whenever I was filled with the Spirit, I just I gave God all that I had. And I mean, God poured all that he had in me. And it was the most joyous, joyful time I've ever experienced in the Lord is those, those fresh waves of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you, you, you couldn't slap the smile off my face. You know? And so many people today have no joy. Why? Because they're giving God no savory sacrifice. God's waiting on us to give a savory sacrifice. And then when we do, he'll pour out his spirit. He'll pour out his spirit. But look here. It is that, that, that sacrifice that was a savor unto God. Amen. It was. You go back and you read that again later. It, and and the, the thing is, is so many times people think, well, I'm not out there murdering anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm not cheating on my spouse. I'm not robbing a bank. And I go to church. But God didn't say that that's it. God said he wanted you to live a sacrificial life. Give yourself to God as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. See, you're, you're the call of God on my life is not to not rob a bank. The call of God on my life is to give myself over to him every day, every moment that I'm awake. All that I am, all that I am to be his. God didn't call, and, and yeah, okay, let me rephrase that. God did tell you not to rob a bank, okay? God did tell you to not rob a bank. But many people have no joy because that's where they stop. I don't cuss anybody out most times. I don't rob banks. I might cheat on my taxes, but I don't rob banks. I don't cheat on my spouse, but I do look. I don't, you know, I, I don't murder people, but I do hate them. You see, they, you, we, we compromise, and we wonder why we have an unfulfilled Christianity. We wonder why we have to have all the laser lights and stuff. Why do we have to have all the, the, the tapestries in our churches that make it look like a nightclub? Because the church is bored and it has no joy of the Holy Ghost. If we had the joy of the Holy Ghost, we wouldn't need the entertainment of the world. In fact, Leonard Ravenhill, he said that the entertainment of the world is, is, the, is a substitute for the joy of the Lord. It's the devil's substitute for the joy of the Lord. The more entertainment we got to have, it's just because we're not feasting on God. It's because God's not the joy of our soul anymore. That's why we've got to keep our minds occupied by video games or by movies or watching, you know, Netflix and chill and watch a series and watch this episode, that episode, that episode, that episode, that episode. Why? Because we're mindless drones just trudging through life because we don't have the joy of the Lord because we're not giving God a sacrifice that is savory to him. And until we come back, it's simple. Right? It's simple, but it's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. We've just got to come back to that place to where we give ourselves sacrificially to God that it might be savory unto him. And I want you to know something. God, God is, is, is waiting on you to do that. God's waiting on you to do that. Now here, let me show you something in, in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go over here to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And 
And we're going to pick it up in verse number 13. Matthew 5, verse 13. Now, savory, as we said earlier, is that idea of what makes something valuable, what makes something just beautiful, savory. And it's amazing that, there, that, that a sacrifice can be savory unto God. And the ultimate sacrifice that was savory to God was Jesus on the cross. And yet God has called us to live that same kind of life. Amen. Let's look at this in verse number 13. Jesus said this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor... Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. This reminds me of the lukewarm church. It was the church that was hot or cold that God was, was able to use. It, they, had, they had some savor to them. If you go back and you read that passage, you know, a lot of times they get it mixed up because we talk about hot and cold. We talk about hot, good, and cold, bad, but that's not the context. The, the, the context back then was that there was a, a body of water. And if it's hot water, you can take a bath in it. If it's cold water, you can drink it. That was the context. But if it's lukewarm, you've just got bugs growing in it. You can't do nothing with it. You'd have parasites and all kinds of stuff. The lukewarm is where you get the, 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 the infiltration of the parasites and things like that. And here you see Jesus looking at salt and here in Matthew 5 and he says you're the salt of the earth look you can't be looking to the you can't be looking out the doors of the church and wondering why it's going to hell when the church has no salt anymore oh sure is going it sure is going downhill out there oh what's the church doing we turned the church into a nightclub We've turned the church into a self-help seminar. We've turned the church into a country club. But our, the call of God on our life is to be the salt of the earth. How do we become salty? Sacrificially. The, and, and Jesus actually nails it when he says that it loses its savor. It loses the, the, it loses what makes it unique and special and glorious to God. And, and, and when salt loses its purpose, it's good for nothing, he says. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen in, in a snowstorm, they'll go out and they'll salt the road? And after so many cars drive over it, that salt's no good anymore, is it? That salt's no good anymore after so long. Because it's lost, its, it's lost its, its purpose. Oh, come on now. It's no longer salt. When it's no longer salty, it loses its purpose. When it's no longer salty, it has no more savor. It has no more effect. It has no more calling. It has nothing else left. And what about the church today? We're waiting on the world to stop being insane. We're waiting on the world to stop being immoral. We're waiting on the world to stop serving the devil. We're waiting on the world to stop going to hell when the church has no savor in its salt. What's a church to do? What's a church to do? A church is supposed to do what? Come back to the cross. A church is supposed to come back to the cross. We're supposed to come back, humble ourselves before the Lord of glory, give ourselves over again, and in that sacrificial moment, it'll be savory unto God, salt will begin to rise up, and as we go out the doors of the church, we'll be salting every single thing we touch from the store to our jobs to our homes. Everything we touch will have a tinge of glory on it. That's the salt because we don't do what the world does. Now look, what the, look at the next part. It says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. Listen to this. Cannot be hid. I, 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 that's the last verse I'm going to read. 
But I want you to think about something. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Think about this. God is telling you that he's called you to live a sacrificial life, and that sacrifice is savory to the Lord, okay? And that's what he desires. That's what that saltiness is. And when you are, you cannot be hid. I want to ask you something. How is it that the, that the world can get on with the church? You know, the, the, the world, whenever the, whenever the first church was here, the world hunted them down. I mean, they hunted them down. They were starting revivals and riots everywhere they went. We had protesters one time here. I'm ashamed. We should have them every time. We should have people trying to stop us from meeting. I mean, they, they literally hunted down the disciples. They killed them methodically. They severed their head. They severed their body. They boiled them in oil. They did everything they could to stop the gospel. But you know what? You can't stop God. The, the Catholic Church, you try to burn the Bible. You can't stop the Word of God. You can't stop the Spirit of God. God is victorious. God's going to get the victory. He's going to get the glory. And God, listen, you may say, oh, the world's just going down, down, down. God can turn it around like that. It's not possible with us. You might look at our country and say, we are insane. There's no coming back from where we are now, brother. Well, you know what? The disciples turned around their world. The disciples turned around their world. And, and they went through a lot of hurdles to get there, but they did. Why? Because they were salty. They had the anointing of God on them. They were full of the Holy Ghost, and they had the salt of God. You can't be filled with the Holy Ghost without having the salt of God on your life. Unless you're sacrificed unto God and living that crucified life, you'll never receive the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not going to baptize someone in the Spirit who is not sold out to him who is not given over totally to him. But those that are surrendered vessels, those that are crucified unto God, those are the ones God's going to fill with the Holy Ghost and God's going to send out to be salt in this world. And that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need us to complain about how bad it is. I mean, we can complain about how bad it is and we can have seminars about how, you know, let's look at, the, let's look at why did society crumble and why are we doing this? But really and truly what the world needs, they need you to give yourself to God in a savory, sacrificial way. Get full of the Holy Ghost and go out in the world and mix it up. Go out in the world and mix it up. Go be salt. Go be light. And it says that, it, that, that when you're that way, look at that last phrase, cannot be hid. A church like that stands out. You know, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood, everybody else in Babylon bowed down to the, to the statue. Everybody else in Babylon bowed down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood. And you know what? They couldn't hide that. You stand out like a sore thumb when you live a holy life. You will stand out. People will not get you. They will not like you. They will mock you. They will ridicule you. How many of you know that, that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood, they probably had somebody going, hey, just bow down. Go along. Get along. Stop causing problems. You can go ask God for forgiveness later. Just stop it already. But you know what? They refused to compromise. They refused to be unholy to God. They refused to stop living a crucified life. They refused to stop being salt and light in the world. And because of that, they couldn't be hid. You know what? I believe that a lot of times the church just wants to blend in. The church wants to be hidden. The church wants to be undercover. You know what? There's no such thing as an undercover brother. Or an undercover sister. God never called you to live an undercover life. Here in America, you're called to let that light shine. You're called to let the light of God shine. Now, things may change rapidly, but right now, God is calling us to live a, a, a sacrificial life that it be savory unto God, be full of the Holy Spirit so that we can be salt and light in the world again. Nothing else will please God and nothing else will turn on the lights in this dark world.
We're not going to be able to turn. We're not going to be able to turn the world around through seminars. We're not going to seminar the world back to godliness. We're not going to seminar the world back to holiness. We're not going to seminar the church back to holiness. The only thing that's going to get the church back where it needs to be is the preaching of the cross and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and living a holy, sanctified life under God, being salt and light in the world, not letting that light be put under a bushel, but letting the light shine that men can see God. That you'll be following the steps of Jesus, as it says in Ephesians 5, not drifting back, not staying in neutral, but following, you know, the steps of Jesus, he went all the way. Think about that before we close. Think about that. Jesus didn't go in the middle. Come on. Self will allow you to serve God a little so long as you don't pay a cost. Self will let you go to church a little so long as you don't pay a cost. But it's that cost that God's looking for because Jesus didn't skimp around the cost. He went all the way through it. And God has called you to go through whatever it costs you to live a sacrificial life full of the Holy Ghost to be salt in the world. Amen. Lord, we bless you tonight and we thank you for the ministry of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your people here tonight. Lord, we thank you that you're no respecter of persons. But it's that savory sacrifice of the cross that you respect. And you, you will honor and bless those that come and give themselves over to that sacrifice on the cross. Lord, I thank you for the people gathered here tonight. Lord, I pray that we would be a set-apart people. Lord, let us not be, go quietly in the night as the world goes to hell. But Lord, let us be filled with your spirit. Let us be sanctified and set apart for your glory. Lord, fill us afresh. Let us be those people that have tasted and seen that our God is good. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us, that you would be the joy of our heart, the joy of our soul, that you would light our dark places, that you would encamp around us, protect us, and guide us through these days. And Lord, we pray that you would do whatever is necessary in us to get us to that place to where we live as a, as a daily living sacrifice to you. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says amen, amen. We're going to open up our altars right now. If you need a, a, to have a moment with the Lord, uh, come to these altars. And, and, and I think, you know, God, God wants to touch you tonight. So let the Lord do what he needs to do in you. Come to these altars and pray. And if you need me to pray with you, I'll be right here. Jesus, you